The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Today it's a pleasure to have guest speaker Bruce McDonald with us as he brings us the Word of God. Let's join Bruce now in his sermon entitled, Knowing the Difference. Here's Bruce. Our guest speaker this morning, Bruce and his dear wife Bev, are with us this morning uh, taking time out of their vacation uh, while they're here with their kids and grandkids in Southern California uh, to come and speak this morning. There's nobody that you can uh, rely upon like a good friend uh, to come. But Bruce and Bev mean the world to Lucy and I. Uh, for the last 10 years, they have been in our home, we've been in theirs. They are friends and we have laughed together and cried together. Um, when Lucy and I have gone through some very difficult times, they showed up at our door uh, to pray with us. God is notoriously unpredictable by the blessing of great people that he brings into our lives that, again, we weren't necessarily looking for, but he wanted them to be a blessing in our lives. And so it's a real joy this morning um, to have Bruce come. There's a little bit of a bio sketch in your bulletin uh, about he and the ministry that he's given to uh, he and Bev over the years. But Bruce, come, my brother, and open up God's word for us this morning. Thanks, man. Okay, good morning. Hey, it actually worked. Half the time I don't put that in. What a joy to be here today. In fact, I, uh, I didn't want to get up here. I just wanted to keep worshiping. One of those powerful songs. Thank you. Tom and the worship group, and man, we love Rick and Lucy. Uh, I aspire to be someone like Rick, and uh, they've been such a blessing and encouragement in in our lives, and for whatever reason, uh, God has had us in a ministry for a long time, Uh, and you can see that in your your bulletin there, traveling, uh, particularly overseas, but across this country, and and one of the greatest blessings for Bev and I is to fellowship with God's people. And uh, I, I do have one advantage over you. Uh, I, and that is only this, that I get to introduce people to other believers in heaven because the, the body of Christ is, is such a rich body. It's so diverse. I kind of hate to use that word today because it's, it's bandied about the wrong way. But uh, whether it's, it's in Bangladesh or whether it's in uh, South Africa or whether it's here in California, just to see God's grace and the work of God. Um, In that one day, it tells us that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, God's not going to mix us all up and we're going to lose distinctiveness. We'll have that wonderful uh, complexity of variety. And so it's great to worship with you all today. And uh, so grateful. And you know, I was thinking... The, the verse that was up on the screen to start with, Zechariah 14.9, uh, it talks about the fact that one day there'll be one Lord over all. There'll be one king. And I love the way that, that verse finishes out. And it says there'll only be one name. And I just want to share this with you, that uh, those of us who, for whatever reason, in the counsels of God, uh, give us an opportunity to stand and talk to people, uh, I want I want you to know something that... We can't wait to a day when people aren't lifting their faces and looking at us. We just want that one name, Jesus Christ. 
where we can all just be looking at him. And uh, right now, my prayer this morning is that you would see him. Uh, I can't do it. I got some ink and paper here. That's that's it. That's the best I can do. And uh, but we just need the Holy Spirit to uh, work in our hearts and uh, for us to see Christ. So I want to talk to you about something this morning. So even if you're not in the habit of doing this, would you find that outline in your uh, bulletin there? And Bev and I are uh, missionaries, have been for a long time. And uh, our ministry for the past uh, 14 years has been a ministry to missionaries and to pastors. And uh, so I'm going to put you on a little bit of safe ground so the Holy Spirit can speak to you without you feel that I'm targeting you. So I'm going to talk about issues that missionaries struggle with, but here's the secret, so do we. But you can be comfortable and think, well, those missionaries, you know, and you can receive this. Um, A few years ago, we had the opportunity to head to the Philippines where we would be ministering to a group of missionaries from all over uh, South Asia. And before we left our home in Colorado, I got a call from our executive director over South Asia. He said, hey, Bruce, uh, I want to give you a heads up. You're heading to uh, the Philippines, and I want to talk to you about a missionary couple who's there. Uh, And he talked to me about Jerry and his wife. And he said, they have been there for over 20 years. They're amazing people. They've started four churches. God's used them in a, in a phenomenal way. And I said, yeah, you know, I've heard of, of Jerry. And he said, well, here's what you don't know. A few months ago, they left the field. I said, wow. He said, they're both so discouraged. And uh, they're planning on quitting and not going back. He said, but I have got a hold of them, and I told them that I want them to fly back to the Philippines. I felt kind of sorry for them in regard to this. And I want them to be there at that conference. And so I said, okay. And he said, and uh, and if you and Bev could spend some time with Jerry and his wife, I said, that would be fine, you know. So we got to the, uh, the Philippines, had the opportunity of meeting many of the missionaries there, and uh, got to... Uh, talk with Jerry and his wife and and could just see the heaviness in his spirit, the, just the, the, the sadness and, and really a, a, just a feeling of, of giving up. And so uh, early on, I, I, I said to Jerry, I want to ask you a question. He said, okay. And I said, here's my question. If you could be one missionary, who would it be? Just pick somebody. And he was kind of taken back, and he said, you mean past or present? You know, are you talking about Hudson Taylor, David Livingston? I said, no, present. He goes, okay, I'll think about that. And I said, well, don't tell me, just write it down. I said, at the end of the week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out, because I'm going to ask this question to each of you missionaries. So we went through that week, and it was a joy to have Jerry and his wife there and had other opportunities with them. At the end of that week... Uh, we met one final time with Jerry and his wife, and and uh, he was sitting there, and I said, so Jerry, um, I thought you'd be interested to know about the poll I took. He said, yeah. He said, we're all kind of talking about that. And I said, okay. So I said, so who do you think all of these missionaries from South Asia are uh, 
picked as the missionary they would want to be. He's going, wow. Uh, He said, well, you know, I picked, and he said the name of someone. And he said, I I think most of the people would pick that person. And he said, maybe so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. I said, well, you know, it's really interesting. It's unanimous. They all picked the same person. He said, wow. He said, who's that? And I said, you. Now, how did he get to that place? How did he not see that? How did he not see the hand of God in his life? I mean, you may not realize this, but starting four churches in 20 years is is okay. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. And God had opened up the campuses, the university campuses in the Philippines for Jerry to come in and teach creation in all the universities. He had a plethora of ministries, and yet he struggled, and he was ready to give up. So why does that happen? Why does it happen in our life? So when you look down here, I want to talk to you about something that, uh, to be honest with you, that I struggle with. And and oftentimes when I'm uh, traveling to the different regions of the world for our mission agency or here in the States, I have to apologize because I, I tell them that all of my topics are, are things I struggle with. So they, you know, they think I've got this huge pile, which is true, that I struggle with. But so I want to just share with you, as, as I've thought this through, as I've listened to stories, as I've examined my own life, uh, <laughs> I think sometimes I struggle with knowing the difference between punishment Trials, attacks, and discipline. Now, hang on. It'll it'll make sense to you in a minute here because you're going to find out that there is a pattern and none of us are exempt from that. In fact, here's some insider information. And uh, Rick and I have talked about this. If a person is in vocational ministry, let's just use that because I know we, we all are called from God. We all have those good works prepared in advance for us to do. doesn't matter our occupation or vocation. But sometimes people who are in vocational ministry, we, we carry some assumptions into our life. And I'd like you to write this down. And so you find somewhere to write this because it's not on, on the notes there. But this will make sense to you. Here are, here are the assumptions. And basically you can put them just into two categories. The first assumption is this, and I would just put the word exemption. If I have surrendered my life to Christ, if I've done some measure, at least in a comparative way, of sacrifice, and particularly you can imagine as missionaries who are traveling somewhere, although they're missionaries in the States as well, that even though we would not stand up and say this, there is the potential for us to see that, to think, that we have some exemption from trials and difficulty. I mean, I can even quote when, when uh, Samuel talked to Saul and says that God honors those who honor him. And so you're thinking, well, God, you know, I'm not going to have problems with my kids. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to have financial problems. And, and the stories we hear from the heartaches of missionaries are oftentimes... 
they're bewildered and confused at what's going on in their life. And, and unbeknownst to them, there is this thought of, well, if I've surrendered all to Christ, there's going to be a kind of a protective shield and I, I won't have those experiences. So what happens when the difficulties come, it makes it that much more difficult to know how to respond to that. That's the first one, exemption. The, the second one, you could just write down the word familiarity. And, and that's the, this idea of this. Well, I'm, you know, I, I handle the word of God. You know, and uh, I'm paid to know something about God. And so, you know, it's, I've got the time to study about God. And so as, as I press forward in my relationship with God, as, as Hosea 6.3 says, let us, let us press on, let us press on to know our God. As I seek to do that, I'm assuming that, that God's going to reveal more of himself. And not only reveal more of himself, but he's going to start sharing with me insider information. He's going to tell me the why of things. And so when difficult times come, we we look to this God that we've drawn close to. And the old writers used to call God the great deep. And our relationship with God in some ways is not like a relationship with any other being. When, the more time you spend with friends, Rick and Lucy, there's some familiarity. You, you, you begin to understand them. You, you know how they kind of think and all that stuff. With God, now please somebody say amen on this. With God, the more you get to know God, the greater mystery he is. I was speaking at a pastor's conference and I said to the young pastors, this is going to be really discouraging for all the young guys here, but I said, I want to show you something. I said, those of you who have been in the ministry more than 20 years, how many of you would say that you know God better now than when you first started? I said, raise your hand. Do you know how many people raise their hand? None. Now, obviously, they did know God in a greater way. But it's kind of like saying, yeah, I know the Grand Canyon. And I went over and I stood on the edge of it, you know. And so I said to the young guys, don't get discouraged, because they actually do know God in a greater way. Our problem is, as we get to know God, we realize that his ways are beyond tracing. And, and so, so those are struggles that, that uh, missionaries have, that we all have. So let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf, all right? And uh, I hope this is an encouragement and help to you. I, I want to just remind us of some things. These aren't new revelations. They're things that you and I know, but they're things that God wants to encourage us and to remind us because we want to go back to this. How can we discern the difference between these four things, between punishment, trials, attacks, and discipline? All right, first of all, we need need to be reminded of the devil's role. Now, you guys are well taught. You know your Bible. And so if I ask you, what are some uh, titles and roles for Satan? And, and, and you would rapid fire come up with some of those. Uh, you think about First Peter 5. The devil walks about as a roaring lion. So he, he is a lion. Uh, you get into Revelation chapter 12 and identify Satan as a dragon. Uh, Jesus told a parable about the, the soils. 
And he likened the devil to a bird that comes in quickly and snatches the seed. And you remember that uh, he was using the metaphor about a shepherd and sheep. And he said that Satan goes about as a something dressed as something. What? A wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. But I think sometimes we forget that one of Satan's greatest roles is that of a thief. And so write that in there. The devil's role is a thief. And John 10.10, 10, isn't this interesting? You know, we, Bruce, we love certain parts of Bible verses. You know, you know we hang them on our wall. You know, like this one. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Isn't that a great verse? However, <laughs> it's not the whole verse. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Whoa, back the truck up. Wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. You know, and being made conformable to his death. Whoa, no, I'm not going to macrame that. I'm not going to needle point that on the wall. You know? <laughs> so we love John 10.10, 10, right? Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. Woohoo! Yeah, good stuff. I think there's something else in that verse. <laughs> the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, practically speaking, so he's a thief. What in the world could he steal? I mean, I'm a blood-bought believer, secure in Christ. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Well, here, a couple things. First of all, he steals assurance. So write that down. Hebrews 10.35. Now, this is just in case you're sleepy. I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to make this statement. I believe that Christians can lose their faith. Good. Somebody opened your eyes. Okay. I do. Now, not saving faith. Faith. Hebrews 10.35, the writer of Hebrews, and I know who wrote it, but I'm not going to tell you. So <laughs> Hebrews, Hebrews 10, the writer says this. He says, do not cast away your confidence. Dear people, I believe, because I can see it in my own life, it is possible to cast away our confidence in God. And in that sense, we lose our faith in God, not our standing. It is possible. I've seen it in my own life. I've talked to many people. We, have, we can go through seasons of that. And so the evil one seeks to take away the assurance of what we have. So somewhere, if you can find it to write it down, what we have and who we are, right? Doesn't he do that in your life? Now, we know things, but we miss it by 12 inches, right? And so he's a thief, and he steals that assurance. Wait, I don't care what title you have. I don't care what experiences you have. I don't care if you have successes. Satan is going to seek to steal that in seasons of your life, that of assurance. And here's the second thing. He also seeks to steal awareness, awareness of who he is and what his goal is. That's what the thief comes in to steal. We forget all about that. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we already quoted that verse. Be alert, be vigilant, be sober, depending on what translation you want to look at. 
The devil, your adversary, walks about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And so, so often, our missionaries, so you'll feel good for a moment, our missionaries, they forget that they're not exempt from that. And so they begin to struggle with that. And they forget all about it. And, and here, here's a, a microcosm of that. You think of Job, and we're privy to what was going on in heaven, right? All that the dialogue between God and Satan. But Job didn't know that, right? So Job only had two options as he dealt with these severe trials. And here were the two options. One is, I'm a jerk. I'm the gum on the bottom of the shoe. No wonder this is happening to me. Or, secondly, God's unfair. God's unkind. God's mean. Read the book of Job. But we're going, hey, Job, wait, whoa, no, no. There's somebody else in this narrative. It's Satan. Now, I don't know how much Job knew about Satan or spiritual warfare, but we should know better, but we sometimes forget. That's what the thief does. Here you go, the devil's resource. Well, how how does this come about, Bruce? Well, the devil's resource, believe it or not, is our minds. Is our minds. 2 Corinthians 2.11. Paul writes this powerfully. We are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. That word schemes in the Greek is noema. It is a Greek word that means things of the mind. And if I can just put it in our modern-day vernacular, Satan messes with our mind. Can I get an amen on that? He really does. He's so good at it. That's why there's passages of Scripture that says, put on the helmet of salvation. Because he messes with our mind. And again, there's no exemptions there. He will do that. So... What does he do with our mind? Well, he, first of all, creates confusion between those four things we're talking about. In a moment, you'll see punishment, trials, attacks, and discipline. We're like James 1.6. Not we, so that make you feel bad. Missionaries are like James 1.6. A wave of the sea that's tossed to and fro. Double-minded. That's what the evil one does. He messes with our mind. Now, you know, sometimes um, Rick and I are spiritual accountability partners, but it gets hard because he keeps leaving the state. (laughs) But when Rick and I are together and we have our times together, one of the things that Rick and I do, besides um, sitting down to coffee, tea, whatever the case is, he and I then walk and we, we share our hearts and we pray together. And in those moments, I'm kind of sane but sometimes that sanity is brought back by things that, that Rick reminds me that I already know. And so there needs to be clarity. I, one of the, the most powerful things that ever happened in my life that shook me to the core was one of my dear friends, his name was, well... I can tell you, Doug Daniels, you'll never know who he is. Doug Daniels. And uh, 
Doug is just an amazing man. And uh, Rick and I have had an opportunity to teach together. But years before that, I, I taught with this Doug. Now, get this. Doug was the national school teacher of the year. Let's talk about intimidating. So he and I taught. He just loved God amazingly. Doug had led so many teachers and students to Christ. It was amazing. In the large church that we were a part of on the East Coast at that time, there were many in that church had come to Saving Faith because of Doug. I moved to Colorado and was gone for about three years and uh, had meetings at uh, Sandy Cove in, in Maryland on the shores of the Chesapeake. And so I flew back. Well, <clears throat> people from this church, it was a men's conference, um, a large group of them came down. And so I had flown uh, into the airport, rented a car, drove over to the conference ground. And when I'm getting out of the car, I see a bunch of these people. And it was a very large conference, so they were just a small part of that conference. But I, I just happened to get there at the same time. And these guys are getting out of the car. And they see me and they wave. And we come over and we greet each other. And the, one of the first things they said, Bruce, you're not going to believe this. Doug's coming to the conference. And I go, well, yeah, great. Well, why wouldn't he be here? That would be Doug. He'd be leading the way. And they can see that I'm not getting this. They said, no, he's, he's coming here. And I said, yeah, that's great. He, and they look at each other and said, he doesn't know. And I said, what? They said, Doug's abandoned the faith. He's turned his back on God. He doesn't even believe God exists anymore. I said, what? This is one of my heroes. And so he was there at the conference. And I saw him from a distance. He didn't even look the same. Such a hardened look on his face. It, it frightened me. I tried to get to him. I couldn't get to him. And so I was speaking like four or five times. And each time I'd speak, I'd try to scan the audience to see him. And I couldn't see him. And at the break, I'd look around. He wasn't there. And, and finally, I forget what's after the second or third one. I see him sitting way in the back. And I'm just praying, God, let's, let, me, let me talk to him. And finally, after one of the sessions, he came walking up. He stand off to the side like this. And after talking to some people, I said, Doug. And I, and I hugged him, and it was like this. And I said, let's go talk. And so he agreed, and we went out and sat on a bench there on the shores of the Chesapeake. And I said, Doug, tell me your story. What's going on? And it's too long to tell, but let me just say this. He said something that I've never heard before. He had tears running down his cheeks and he said, Bruce, I have prayed to God that I would not be a Christian. How did he get that hurt? Now, he was a Christian and he couldn't pray himself out of that position. But that's where his heart was. And that's what the evil one can do in any of our minds. And I want you to understand, he can pick the best. People better than myself. He also seeks, secondly, to create condemnation. Revelation 12.10 calls Satan the accuser. And here's the sobering thing. He says, he accuses us. I wonder if you remember the rest of that. How often? Day and night. There's no holidays. There's no exemptions. Satan never looks at us and goes, wow, you guy's having a bad day. This wouldn't be fair. He's like a shark in the water that smells blood, right? 
and he seeks to come in and just overwhelm us with a feeling of condemnation. You have been there. Sorry, you have. You have felt the slings and the arrows of the evil one, and you've struggled and wondered about God's love towards you. You've failed, you've sinned, or you've thought you've failed and sinned. Well, here's the answer. The believer's response. The truth. (laughs) The truth. You can finish this. Jesus said, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But please, please, don't minimize that. It is so powerful that with our minds that we center on the truth. There is a reason Ephesians 6.14 says, put on the belt of truth. So, let's flesh this out. So, knowing the truth, let me give you these four little points here. Now, this is not a formula, because every day of my life, I need to be reminded of this. It is a foundation, though. It is a truth that I need to hold on to, and I need to run back to. It's not a formula that will give me success because I'll still have that potential to not only struggle but be defeated in that area. So I run back to these truths. Here's the first one. Well, what about punishment? When bad things are happening to me, is God angry with me? Am I being punished? Write this one word, paid. Paid. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ has suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous. There's no double jeopardy in the Christian life. My oldest brother, I have two older brothers. My oldest brother was working with college students. And he called me up one day and he said, Bruce, he said, I just had something happen here uh, with one of the college students. And he said, what do you think about this? And I said, what is it? He said, one of our college students has struggled severely with pornography. And he said, he recently came to me and said, I am so sick of this. I've prayed and prayed and prayed. Now my prayer is this. God, if I ever do this again, would you hurt me real bad? So my brother said, what do you think of that? I said, well, I can appreciate his, his saying that, but I, I, I have one thing to say about that. He said, what's that? Tell him he's too late. Somebody was already punished real bad. And we need to remember that as a believer, you have had your sins paid for. You know that. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. So this is the easiest one to answer. Paid. God's never going to punish you. There's no double jeopardy. Number two, trials. Well, write this one word, life. (laughs) Rats. No, don't write rats, but that one word, life. 1 Peter 4.12. Peter writes this. Don't be surprised at these trials as if something strange is happening to you. Jesus said in John 16.33, In this world, you will have slap-happy times always. Right? That's the revised perversion, right? 
In this world, you will have trouble, tribulations. Count on it. Check it off. It's going to happen. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, to the, the Thessalonian believers who are struggling there. He said, I don't want you to be unsettled by these trials. You know very well that when I was with you, I said you're destined for them. Now, I have sent my resume into the Godhead several times because I have so many good suggestions about the Christian life. I have so many good ideas and insights. Some reason it keeps getting rejected, rejected. Yeah, I don't understand why God has allowed and designed a life that's by faith, that has trials. But he has. He does tip his hand a little bit. We know there's at least a couple reasons for those trials. One is for our good, and another is for his glory. In fact, I don't think I have this written down, but if you write down First uh, Peter 1.7, this just encapsulates it. Listen to what this says here, beginning in verse 6. He says, uh, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved to be genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For our good, for God's glory. And he is the God of all grace. He strengthens us, but we will have trials. Here's the third one. Well, how, what about a text? War. <laughs> Just write the word war. Again, we're surprised that that actually happens to us, that we, we experience that. So I have a passage of Scripture down there for you in Luke 22, 31. And uh, here's what it says. Jesus is talking to his men and he said, Hey guys, um, kind of got some bad news. He said, Satan has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. Now in the Greek, you know what that says? It says, Satan has demanded that you be his. That's literally what it is in the Greek. Whoa. Are you kidding me? Like Martin Luther said, we're not the right man on our side, the, God, the man of God's own choosing. Our striving would be toast. That's the original Hebrew. So war. Listen to this. I came across this recently and uh, wrote it in my Bible. I'm like you. I write things down. What a reminder this is. So this is Charles Spurgeon. He was Kind of a somebody. Okay, here it goes. Listen to this. This will be interesting reading my writing. A holy character does not avert temptation. Jesus was tempted when Satan tempts us. His sparks fall upon tinder. But in Christ's case, it was like striking sparks upon water. Yet the enemy continued his evil work. Now, if the devil goes on striking when there is no evil result, how much more will he do it when he knows what inflammable stuff our hearts are made of? And you know what? Sometimes missionaries, all of us, we forget. 
Satan didn't go, oh, I'm so glad you're over here for Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you're witnessing in that workplace. I'm so glad you're witnessing at that school. Yay! He hates that. It's war. It's just part of what we signed up for. Here's the fourth one. To discipline. Sometimes that's the hardest one. God does discipline. But write this one word. Love. Love. Three times in Scripture. Hebrews 12, 6 is one of those. God simply says this. Those he loves, he disciplines. And disciplines are necessary and important. I've had times in my life where God's discipline has done that, but it's always moving us towards his heart. It's always for our good. And so when you look at these things, sometimes Satan messes with our mind and we, they cross all over and we, we struggle, but these foundational truths can help us. So, so to make it very practical, under that discipline and the word love, this perhaps, perhaps would be a good help for us. Let's remember that Satan always seeks to condemn. So write that first word in. But Christ seeks to convict. Big difference. Romans 8.1, you could say it. There's, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 33 of Romans 8 says, Who will condemn us? Christ died. So if you're feeling condemned, back the truck up. That isn't the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, Satan accuses, but Christ acquits. Christ acquits. Romans 8.33, who will bring any charge against us? It is God who justifies. (sighs) Write this down. It's not our performance. It's Christ. I'm going to blow it. You're going to blow it. And God lovingly, because like any father, he may bring things into our life because he loves us so much. He's not accusing us. He's already acquitted us because of Christ. And here's the third one. Satan attacks character. Christ attacks conduct. Big difference. We are told in Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of our calling. Hebrews 10.14 says that by one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those he's making holy. Romans 8.29 says that God's great goal for us is conformity to Christ. And so conduct is something that the Holy Spirit works with us and in our lives to change, but not our character. If you find yourself saying, I am dirt, I am worthless. Why did God even... If God only knew this about me. (laughs) Yeah, that's getting in on the counsel of the Godhead, right? Hey, God, I have some information for you. You probably didn't know this about my heart. Here's the fourth one. Satan seeks to remove hope. God restores hope. Discipline is not to remove hope, but is to restore hope. That's why Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It's been good for me that I have suffered. God is called the God of all hope in Romans 15, 13. So I want to encourage you all today. 
you saw that the title of this is Keeping Missionaries on the Field. Believe it or not, it's not what you would assume. But it's what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 7 too. He says this. He said, I'm struggling. Fighting's without, fear's within. The great apostle Paul. So as we seek to encourage those missionaries to stay on the field, some of them are resolved to... I mean, we have been in places where I'm not even allowed to tell you where we've been in this world, where it's supposedly a closed-access country, and it's, a, it's a, a dangerous place. And we've watched our missionaries valiantly stay true to Christ. We've had missionaries who've lost their lives, who've lost family members in that. But sometimes the greatest struggle for them is not those fightings without, it's the fears within. And I hope you all are encouraged and reminded that God wants us to get it right when Satan seeks to mess with our mind, put on the belt of truth. Father God, help me. Lord, I know James says that uh, don't just be a teacher, but actually pay attention to it. And so work in my own life. And Lord, if there's someone struggling here today, would you just swoop over them and encourage them, strengthen them, fill them with hope, Lord. And uh, Lord, help us remember we got a thief who seeks to steal things and messes with our mind. Help us to have our mind on things above. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.